0: Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we think of
1: the obstacles that you overcame, our own stubbornness that you overcame in order to bring us salvation, and we sit back. And marvel at
0: the depth of your grace and the tenacity of your love.
1: And Father, we realize that uh, it is in salvation that we, we discover and meet the love of God. If there's anyone here, Lord, who doesn't know you as Savior, who is not saved, who has not met you, in a salvation decision to place their faith in Christ for salvation. We pray that today would be the day of their salvation. If there are decisions that we, your children, have to make today, we pray that something said might stir up um, the faith to make that decision. I want to commit the message to you now, and we want to ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A comedian was asked if he would like to join a prestigious club. His answer was, I would never join any club that would have me as a member. He recognized that the club had certain standards, and he didn't like the standards that were there. There are many clubs that have very high standards, you know, country clubs, for example. Oftentimes you have to have certain bloodlines or have achieved a certain position in life or pay several thousand dollars as a fee in order to be the member of a country club. We have fraternities or organizations, uh, societies like honor societies. You can't get into an honor society unless you have an A average or B average or B plus average, whatever the standard is. Fraternities are looking for certain things and their members There are many organizations in this world that have standards that need to be met. Uh, I was watching TV this week and saw uh, an induction ceremony for a young lady who wanted to join a street gang. And their induction was for about six girls to gather around her and beat her and kick her. And that was her induction into the street gang. What is the standard for heaven?
0: What is the standard for salvation? The condition for
1: salvation. That's what we're asking today. Is it easy to be saved? Is salvation easy? And today we answer and ask the question, is faith alone in Christ alone? Is the teaching that faith alone in Christ alone lowering the standard for salvation? Is it making it too easy for people to get into heaven so that it is being abused? And in fact, unbelievers are claiming to be believers, believers. This is often called easy believism. The charge that there are those who simply say that they believe and only or only believe, but have not made an extra step of commitment in order to be saved. One well-known writer who espouses this view and criticizes the view that faith alone and Christ alone is enough for salvation and who calls it easy believism says this. The good news of Christ has given way to the bad news of an insidious, easy believism that makes no moral demands on the lives of sinners. In other words, it's wrong to say that all you have to do is to believe in Jesus as your Savior and not ask for any kind of commitment or surrender or a a, a personal submission of your life and everything in your life. So, is there more than believing when it comes to salvation? Is salvation easy? Well, you see, uh, some of the charges is, if we make salvation too easy, then we would be giving people a false assurance, and we would be people telling people who say they believe in Christ, who make a profession of faith in Christ, that you are saved, and we could be giving them a false assurance. Another danger that they point out with easy believism, as they call it, would be that the church becomes worldly, because if people get into the church, who claim to be Christians, who are not really Christians. Then the church's standards for holy living are lowered and the church becomes worldly as unbelievers claiming to be believers are carrying on their old ways. And then another charge is that it just cheapens grace and it cheapens the whole offer of salvation that has been given to us and, uh, and esteemed and treasured and valued so highly by God. So the question is, is salvation easy? But let me rephrase it to another question for you to think about. Is salvation easy or is it simple? Now I'm going to rely a little bit on the differences between these two words. Although they can be related and sometimes they're interchanged, they really are just different words. For example, if you look in the dictionary, you'll see the word easy defined as not guilty. I'm sorry, not difficult. Easy means not difficult, free from pain, from trouble, or comfortable. However, the word simple is defined this way: having only one part, not complex, without additions pure, unadulterated. So is salvation easy or is it simple? And according to how you answer that question may determine whether you believe that a four-year-old child can be saved. It may determine whether you believe a teenager with Down syndrome may be saved. It may determine whether you believe that a a semi-senile older person could understand enough to be saved. Do they have to agonize through their salvation? Do they have to understand a certain amount of theology? Do they have to take a spiritual inventory or do a self examination? Can they just believe the promise of God? Is that enough? Or do they have to go through some initiation that requires a price, a payment, or a commitment? So that's the question before us. And I want to make uh, four main points before we summarize today. And th- my first point is this that salvation was not simple for God. Salvation was not simple for God, at least from our human perspective. Now, it's
0: not that God is, is uh, overtaken by anything
1: too difficult or complex because we can't measure God in his complexity. <clears throat> the most complex human problem is the simplest problem for him. But from a human perspective, we have to say that salvation wasn't simple for him. For example, if we just talked our way through the Bible, we would see that God... Plan salvation before the world was created. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in him before the world began. He chose us. He issued decrees before time began. And then he worked through our rebellion as human beings and through our free will. And he promised salvation and he covenanted with people to bring about this salvation in his world through a series of covenants. He prefigured it and he pictured it in Israel's history, in Israel's worship, in the implements of the tabernacle, in the utensils and implements of the temple. Everything from the tapestry to the garments that the priests wore pointed to the salvation that he would bring about. It's so amazingly complex that even the most astute Bible students are not able to see all of the predictions of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It is a lifetime study. We are pictured his salvation is pictured in the tabernacle and the temple. In Israel's sacrifices and Israel's feasts, he miraculously provided a savior for the world through a virgin birth in unlikely circumstances. And then in an ingenious life and in an ingenious death, God masterminded our redemption, and then with his powerful resurrection from the dead, he secured it. So God from eternity past engineered the spread of our Of uh, engineered our salvation and engineered the spreading of that message to all of us who now believe. It was a remarkably complex plan that he formulated and carried out on our behalf. Not that he was overtaken by it or troubled by it or burdened by it, but from a human perspective, salvation just wasn't simple for God. When we, when we describe salvation, the terms that we have chosen theologically to describe it are terms packed with all kinds of complex theology that seminary students spend years studying. Words like redemption, words like propitiation, justification, sanctification, atonement, regeneration. All of these things we use to describe. And each of these words, just an endless, bottomless well of, of complex details that God has given us that go into our salvation. And so salvation was not simple for God.
0: The second point is, neither was salvation easy for God. Salvation was not easy for God.
1: In the sense of being comfortable, in the sense of being uh, free from pain or free from trouble. Now again, assuming that nothing is too hard for God as the scriptures Say, is anything too hard for God? Of course not. Nothing's too hard for God. But in, in from human, the human perspective, salvation was not easy for God. Let me give you some points under this. It was hard for him to be good to sinners, I imagine. I mean, there were times he just wanted to wipe out the nation of Israel in the wilderness, and Moses had to plead for his hand of mercy. Now, from the human perspective, you see, it was very hard for God to be good to sinners, to those who were rebellious and wicked and ungrateful. Just as it's hard for you when you drive down the street and somebody cuts you off and you get angry. It's hard to want to be good to such a person. I imagine it was hard, humanly speaking, for God to be good to those who have rebelled against him. It was also hard for him to endure the suffering of his only son that he gave for us sinners. To watch him and not help him. To withhold his hand of rescue and deliverance for his only begotten son as he suffered on the cross. That must have been hard for God as a father to peer from heaven at the suffering of his own son and not do anything to stay the suffering. How hard it is to bring a child into a doctor's office and just hold that child still for a shot or for an examination or some poking and prodding. And how we identify with the pain of the child and wish it could just be over quickly or that they'd never have to go through it. How hard it was for God to look at the son on the cross and let him suffer and die. It was also hard for God to be separated from his son. I think perhaps this really plumbs the depths of how difficult it was for God to affect our salvation. Because something that never had been, now had to be. That the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was with the Father for all of eternity, now had to be separated from God for a brief time. Now, that is something, friends, that we can't imagine. You think about that this Good Friday. That's something we can't comprehend. And and that that the scriptures can't communicate to us. But that Jesus certainly agonized in the garden over when he he pled, Lord, uh, remove this cup from me, but not my will. Thy will be done. The pain was not in the dying. The pain was in being separated from his father, a separation he had never known from eternity. Now, eternity is a long time. I don't know how else to say it. Eternity is a long time. And now God the Father is going to be separated by his son on the cross. And his son cries out from the cross, My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the agony of the cross. Not the physical pain and the physical suffering as much. It was hard to be separated from his son on the cross. It was hard to take, let his son take our sins upon jesus on the cross to add to the burden and finally it's hard i believe to forgive sins you ever have a struggle forgiving someone we all have we've all had a struggle forgiving someone but you know it just takes a conscious decision and a commitment of obedience that that is the right thing to do and i'm going to do it and i'm going to forgive that person even though I don't feel like it. when you, Whenever you forgive somebody who's done something wrong against you, what you do is you swallow that pain. And that's never fun and it's never easy. You just say, okay, I will take that pain and I will absorb it. Instead of putting it back on the other person and inflicting them, I will inflict myself with the pain. I will swallow it. I will do away with it. And I will forgive that person. They will have a clean slate because I will take the pain. Now that's kind of hard for humans to do. How hard it must have been for God to forgive those who were totally rebellious, who were given to sin, who were unapologetically wicked, who were unrepentant. And yet God said, I will forgive you anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and he placed our sins upon Jesus and he offers us forgiveness. Now, again, we say nothing's too hard for God, but if we can talk in human terms, it wasn't easy for God to save us. It wasn't simple for God to save us and it wasn't easy for God to save
0: us. It was a difficult thing to do. My third point, though, focuses on our human response. And my third point is that salvation is simple for sinners. Salvation wasn't simple for God, but it is simple
1: for sinners, for you and for me. And really, that's what we've been saying in this series all along, that salvation is as simple as faith alone in Christ alone. And we have as witness the many, many scriptures that promise salvation on the basis of faith alone. Salvation, you see, is as simple as John three 16, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that's the Bible's simple believism. I refuse to call it easy believism. I'll tell you why in a minute. But it's simple believism. God made it no more difficult than placing our faith in Jesus as our Savior. We saw the same thing when we studied Acts chapter 16, 31. So without going through that whole passage again, the conclusion, when asked, what must I do to be saved is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Again, it is simple believ- believism that a man on the cross, that a man facing death, that anyone on their deathbed can simply believe in Jesus. It is as simple as that. Place their faith in the one who has died for them. It's simple enough for a child to understand. Simple enough for a child to understand and to do. And so now I'd like to turn with you to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. We have a witness from Scripture that children can be saved. Because Paul, in writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, reminds him that even as a child, he has known the Savior. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus.
0: Little, little Timothy was able to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Come to salvation through faith in Christ. And then if you would, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In
1: <clears throat> Paul and Paul's address to the proud Corinthians who thought that they were just on top of the human race because of their salvation, that they were the cream of the crop and the best of the best who took pride in their salvation and in their giftedness. Paul reminds them that salvation is not some wonderful plan for the most wonderful people, but salvation is God's plan that looks like foolishness that saves the very bottom of the barrel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brothers, That not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called in verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Say amen to that. Amen. God has chosen you and me, the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base or the lower things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring nothing, bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God saves the weak. God saves the foolish Things that the world looks down on. God saves the base things of the world, those that we look down on. God saves those who are considered foolish by
0: this world. Because salvation is simple.
1: God saves thieves as he saved the thief on the cross. God saves pagan jailers who know nothing about Christianity if they simply bow the knees of their heart and ask Jesus to be their savior. God saved simple fishermen and called them to be his disciples. And they were recognized as ignorant men. You remember in Acts chapter, I believe it's chapter 4, when Peter and John were preaching the gospel, and the Pharisee says, what do these ignorant men know? They're just fishermen. Now, I can identify with that, you see. Most people think fishermen are ignorant. Did you know that uh, the, the average man's IQ is 107, 107? So that means the average fisherman's IQ is what, about 90, 95, something like that? The average trout's IQ is four, they say. So why can't a man catch a trout? Fishermen are not often the brightest. There's a fine line between fishing and standing on the shore like an idiot, someone said. I thank God that he saves the foolish things of the world. You don't have to be a Mensa member to be saved because salvation is simple. So simple a child can understand it. So simple a child can believe the promise. So simple a Down syndrome. I've seen wonderful testimonies from uh, young people with Down syndrome who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They don't understand everything. They don't understand much, but they understand enough to save them because God in his wonderful grace made salvation. As difficult as it was, and as complex as it was, the condition for it is simple. It is simple. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. In spite of the fact that people want to make it complicated, in spite of the fact that people want to attach conditions to it and entry fees to it and initiation rights to it or pledges with it, salvation is simple. Salvation is simple for sinners. But here's my last point before I conclude. Salvation is not easy for sinners. You see, I'm making a big difference between the words simple and easy. Salvation is not easy for sinners. Let me, let me explain in a few different ways. For example, consider our sinfulness. It is not easy to admit that we're sinners. It is not easy to look at ourselves and how far short we fall of the glory of God. Look at John chapter 3 and see what it says about the easiness of coming to Christ. John chapter 6 and verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practices practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. It is not easy to walk into the light which exposes our wickedness and our sinfulness. Salvation isn't easy for sinners in that respect. There's a second reason that salvation isn't easy for sinners. It's because of pride. We are all proud people. As I said earlier, we have an aversion to grace. It's hard for us to admit that there's nothing that we can do. We would much rather feel like we've earned it and that we deserve it, as all the other religions of the world teach. And yet Christianity remains single and alone in teaching that it has all been done for you, and there's nothing that you can do except for receive what has been done. And so Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, Your salvation is not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. Salvation in no way appeals to our pride. But yet pride is what motivates us. Pride is what controls us. Pride is is the very environment that we live in, a selfish pride that wants to make us magnify ourselves and feel good about ourselves. We naturally like to boast and feel deserving. And so salvation is not easy for sinners. It's not easy to be humble before the Lord and admit that there's nothing we can do to be saved. Third reason that salvation is not easy for sinners is because of the unfamiliarity. The unfamiliarity of everything that's taken place. We're distanced so far from culturally, from the culture in which uh, Jesus came and the Bible was written. And we don't understand the culture as we really wish we could. We're distanced so far geographically from that part of the world. We're distanced so far uh, time-wise 2,000 years have expired since the coming of Christ and his death and his resurrection. And we're unfamiliar with with so many of the things that went into that package and into the deeds and the activity that brought our salvation. And we just can't relate to culturally, geographically, time-wise, racially, there is a difference, and that makes it difficult. We can't see Jesus. We're separated by him from, from time and space, and we can't, Actually, see the person. And yet Jesus said to Thomas, who didn't believe, you remember, after the resurrection, he said, you're, you're blessed because you see me and you believe, but how much more blessed will those be who don't see me and believe? Jesus was recognizing that it will be harder to believe, more difficult to believe if you cannot actually see him. And so there is an extra blessing that comes with believing in him and trusting in him as our Savior when we cannot see him. So is salvation easy for sinners? No, because it's an unfamiliar in everything. Everything is unfamiliar about it to us. There's also the problem of trustworthiness. Is the Bible dependable? Can I believe what it says? Do I know that it's translated reliably? Has it been passed down to us reliably? Can I really consider it God's word and God's promise to us? Is Jesus Christ really reliable? Was he maybe just a good teacher? Was he maybe just... A, a, a phenomenal leader. Was he, maybe it's just all a legend. Maybe it's all made up. What can I really believe? How can I really know? The trustworthiness of the Bible and what Jesus claims in the Bible, the credibility of all these things are a hurdle for some when they consider salvation. It's not easy to believe unless we have absolute faith in what God has promised in his word. Let's say that you wanted to sell your car as a used car. You put an ad in the newspaper, and this has happened to me. You put an ad in the newspaper, and someone comes, and they they look at the car, and they say, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. They take their checkbook out, and they write a check. Now, how does that make you feel? I know how it makes me feel. I insist on cash. I've learned. (laughs) I insist on cash. I don't know this man. I don't know where he came from. I don't know why he's buying I don't know how much money he has in the bank. Cash, please. In God we trust, all others pay cash, as the, sl- as the slogan said. It's not easy to consider something trustworthy so that you depend upon it. Another reason that it's not easy for sinners is this whole concept of being forgiven by someone you don't know, you've never seen, who lived 2,000 years ago, who through 2,000 years of time can reach down and forgive me my sins and guarantee me a home in heaven. That whole concept is a little odd when you think about it. If I had Jesus standing here and he could place his hand on me, I might have less trouble. But to to say, I am forgiven on the basis of a promise made, a promise that you can't see. It's not material, a material thing. A promise that was made and to say, I'm relying on this promise and on someone I cannot see. No wonder people think Christians are foolish sometimes. When you think about it, it's almost an absurd idea, but that's the foolishness of God. is wiser than the wisdom of men. My final reason that salvation is not easy for sinners is because of the fear of the unknown. It's difficult because people who are faced with the decision to trust in Jesus as their Savior knows that there are consequences. Most people know and anticipate consequences, and they're thinking, what will happen to me? Will I make a fool of myself? Will I embarrass myself? Will God really come through on his side of the deal and save me? Or am I stepping out into the unknown? and to an unknown future. You know, there's a lot of fear attached for some people to the decision to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And I know that there are probably people here today, as myself, who upon belief at that time when you were faced with the gospel and considering trust in Jesus Christ, you were a little bit fearful. You grew a little bit white knuckled and you sweat a little bit and you said, what am I doing? What am I doing? Can I really trust these people? Can I really trust this book? Can I really trust this promise? And so fear makes it difficult for people to come to Christ, the fear of the unknown.
0: <clears throat> okay, here's the story. Last Saturday,
1: Jim McDaniel and I finally took the big plunge. We made good on our birthday presents, and we went skydiving. We took the big jump out of the airplane, okay? But let me tell you about it. What we did was called a tandem jump. Now a tandem jump sounds a little odd, I grant you that, but... If you understood things, it's, it's really a good way. The best, the only way to do it, if you're considering it, by the way, sure. Uh, a tandem jump is when you have someone who's supposed to be experienced in this, and then they have a special harness on him and a special harness on you, and they hook you to him with some clips, see? And so they only use one parachute, and you jump out of the plane attached to this guy. All right? That's called a tandem jump. And they're able to give you a better jump and a higher jump, a longer jump, and a free fall by doing it that way. Now, was it easy for me to do that? Well, it's a pretty simple process, but it wasn't easy. Okay. Wasn't real easy. We go to the hangar and, uh, and there we're introduced to our instructor. This is Paul. He says, he says, hi, I'll be your tour for the, I'll be your guide for the tour. I say, okay. Now, Paul's kind of a short fellow, you know, uh, he's not an old fellow. He looks pretty young, you know, so I, I start plying him with a few questions. Well, uh, Paul, where are you from? Well, from New York. Well, immediately he's suspect, you know, and, um, Paul, how many jumps have you taken? Well, over 600. I started to feel a little bit better, you know. But he he saw that I was nervous. You know, oh, 600 or something. I do this all the time. You know, I'm sure they've gone through people like me before. He begins to assure me of these things. Now, all the time that we're uh, waiting and getting a little bit of instruction, watching them pack the chutes, there's a fellow, what they do is the the chutes land out in the airfield and then a guy in a pickup truck goes out to get them and he brings them back to the hangar because it's hard to carry your chute back. Now, the guy that goes out to pick them up you know, I noticed him right away. He just stood out because everybody else there was kind of, kind of young. They kind of looked like beach bums didn't have a beach. So you skydive, you know, if you're a ski bum, you don't have a mountain, you skydive. It's kind of, that's the kind of crowd that was there. You know, I, I was a little out of place, but, um, all right. The guy that drives the pickup truck, I figure here's the guy making minimum wage. They pay him to go pick people up out of the field. You know, he had this big old beer belt. He's real. He's kind of an older guy, you know, probably about, uh, uh, what I've been by if I say 48 years old, older, you know, older guy, older than the rest of the crowd there. And he's got about a year, uh, a week's growth of beard on him. He's got a gold snaggle tooth sticking out. He's got a cigarette hanging from his lip, you know, uh, his shirt sticking out. You know, I said the big belly and all. I mean, just a mess. And here's a guy I figure, you know, he's, he's he's getting paid minimum wage to pick the people up out of the field, you know. So now it's time for us to get on the plane. We've had our 15 minutes of ground school. And he says, "Okay, let's go. So we start walking towards the plane. They have a system where they give you little tokens and you give it to the pilot so they can keep track of their uh, flights. Okay. So this, this scruffy looking guy that's driving the pickup truck comes up to us and says, do you have your tokens? And I said, yeah, I didn't give it to him because I didn't think he was the pilot. And he says, well, give them to me. I, I gave them to him. And I turned to Paul next to me and I, I said, Paul, why is he taking the tokens? He says, well, he's your pilot. And I said, the only, the only person I've seen pi- him, the only thing I've seen him pilot today is a pickup truck. Dude, I haven't seen him fly in any planes. He said, Hey, don't worry about him. His name's McBride. He owns the place he's the most experienced pilot here and if you ever need a pilot and you ever want to fly with somebody it's him so we got into the little plane little plane is like a can of sardines four guys plus the pilot packed into here so you can't really move we take off and i'm wondering is the plane going to make it again all the uncertainty and the fear of the unknown we get it we're we're almost uh, uh we're starting to go through the clouds and we're in a position now where we need to start moving our bodies around to get hooked up and so forth and you can barely move and i try to turn and i and i can't turn to move uh and i look over there and there's there's a screw sticking out of the side of the plane that snagged my jumpsuit and i can't even reach over there to get it we're so tight you know and so the, my instructor has done hook me and he points to the pilot and motions that there's a screw and he says you got a screwdriver you have to yell and uh, so the pilot just reaches over does it puts it in his pocket and i said oh that's comforting i wonder how many i wonder how many times he's done that so, so again the fear of the unknown we're up in the plane and finally he says okay uh turn around and and we'll we'll hook you up so i turn around and scoot back and and back up against him and he hooks four metal clips to us little d-ring kind of things and uh i remember asking him are those those things strong <laughs> you know but they each hold 1600 pounds Okay, so I guess we're safe. So he says, "Okay, you're hooked up." I didn't feel hooked up. I didn't hear them click. Again, I'm not sure we're hooked up. I'm taking this guy's word for it. I can't see back there. I say, it's "One minute," he says, "One minute to jump." So they get up in position over the clouds, and the pilot yells, "Door open! Door open!" And you know, get this, I'm leaning against the door, so here I, it's me and eternity. And we we practice. We go through the procedure. We practice, and 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 thank God that. That he didn't give me time to think about it. He just went through it and did it. And I followed because I was attached to him. (laughs) Right foot out on the the strut. Left hand on the the wing strut. One, two, three. Am I going to believe this guy? Jump. And we're off. The fear of the unknown. I don't know this guy. I don't know the pilot. I've never done this before. I don't even know I'm hooked up to this guy. But after a few seconds of free fall, When you don't hear anything but wind, the shoot kicks in, and there's perfect silence and peace, and his voice saying, Okay, now here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, enjoy the time, we're gonna spend this way, we're gonna spend that way, and it's fun. And it's very reassuring reassuring to hear his voice. I compare that to our salvation experience. We don't know so many things. It's not easy to believe. Salvation is not easy. As simple as it is, it is not easy. It's full of all kinds of unknown factors and fears. And yet when we believe and when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, he is there to meet us, isn't he? He catches us. We hear his voice. You've, you've made it, child. You you are here. You are saved. You're You're now mine. And he's reassuring. And he doesn't leave us to our fears. If you're considering a decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ today, if you're not saved and you've thought about this, but you've been holding back because of fear, I'm here to tell you that uh, he won't make a fool of you. And he won't embarrass you, and he'll be there to catch you. And and he is faithful, and he is trustworthy, and you will hear his voice on the other side of your decision. You know, that leaves one question for us. If
0: salvation then is simple, but not easy, why would God make salvation simple
1: for sinners? And There's only one answer for that question. It's because he loves us. He wanted to make it so simple that it would exclude no one. It would not exclude the ignorant. It would not exclude the the impaired or the handicapped. He wanted to make it so simple that everyone could come to know him. If you were in a boat and, and something happened to the boat and your family was cast into the sea, you wouldn't put the life ring in the water next to you and say, okay, swim for it. You would try to make it as easy as you could for them. They don't print life jackets and life rings. I mean, they don't make them out of Teflon, okay? They make them out of material that is simple and will work and is easy to put on. You don't have to read instructions even to do it. Our lives were hung in the balance, and God made it simple for us to believe because he loved us. And he said it in a verse so simple that it's been our favorite verse since the day it was written. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have
0: everlasting life. He made it simple for us because he loves us. It's simple, but not easy.
1: No, I think easy believism is a misnomer and a straw man and a false argument. It's not easy to believe, not easy at all. But I insist that it is still, still simple, as simple as it was for the Philippian jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The demand of the gospel is to believe. It is faith alone in Christ alone. There are no moral requirements for the sinner. There is no entrance test. There is no qualification examination. It is belief in Jesus as your Savior. There is much to learn. The complexities will take you a lifetime to explore after you
0: believe. But in order to believe, there is only the simple condition of faith. We need to
1: propagate to proclaim this simple gospel. The only standard that God set for salvation, is a very low standard, you have to admit you're a sinner. If you qualify as a sinner, then you qualify for salvation. You don't have to promise him anything. You don't have to pledge him anything. You don't have to guarantee him anything. You don't have to pay any price. You just admit that you're a sinner and that Jesus died
0: for you. And he will give you the gift of eternal life as a free gift.
1: Salvation is not easy, but salvation is simple. It's so simple that millions miss it. You may not be able to answer every question, to figure out every doctrine, or have every assurance that what you hear and are told is true. But if you believe, you will find that God is trustworthy, and he is worthy incredible. He is worthy of our faith, and you will find that he will not let you down. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.
0: Let's pray. What a wonderful
1: Sunday if you have not done this to make a decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Sunday, Palm Sunday, a Sunday that celebrates his coming as our King and a Sunday that looks to his death on the cross for us. What a wonderful Sunday to commemorate a decision. Maybe you've been held back by fear or uncertainty or unanswered questions to this point, but you know enough now to believe in Jesus as your Savior. I sure would like to share the joy of that decision that you've made. And I'm asking you just to raise your hand for a couple seconds. If you want to trust in Jesus as your Savior today, so I can talk with you in private. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? Just
0: put your hand up for a couple seconds and put it down. Oh, Father, we do thank you for the great love of the Lord Jesus
1: Christ. The complexities of heaven boil down to a simple act of sacrifice and a simpler act of believing in that sacrifice and accepting it as true. We thank you for salvation so glorious and free and so wonderful and measureless that we can enjoy in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us to be faithful in proclaiming it just as simply to those who are around us, to those that we love and that you love even more. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.